Hi, I'm Charlotte Renault from the Scientific Podcasting Network, bringing you the second episode in our Innovations by Innovators series. In this episode, we'll be talking to three rising stars in Nordic life sciences about their work, origins, and their recent NLS Invest win. Enjoy! Hello everyone, and thank you for joining me. To start off, could you give us a little introduction to yourselves and your respective companies? Starting with Silla Jondottir from Ratnarisk. Hi, uh, I'm Silla Jondottir and I'm the CEO of uh, Ratnarisk. Many thanks for having me on your show today. I'm uh, very pleased. Uh, we are a health tech company founded by a team of uh, Icelandic doctors and scientists uh, with the aim to transform the future of healthcare by providing personalized care based on individualized risk assessment. Our initial focus is on diabetic eye disease, which is actually one of the leading causes of blindness in the world today, uh, but very importantly, can be prevented in over 90% of cases with early detection and timely treatment. So that's really kind of like our focus. And Michael, would you like to introduce yourself next? Hello, I'm Michael Rutzler. I'm the CEO of uh, Swedish biotech company Apoglux. Uh, here we are developing a novel therapy for sepsis, and I've been in this position for the last two years. Before that, I was working in academia, I held academic positions most recently at Aalborg University in Denmark. I received my training as a molecular biologist at the University of Salzburg in my native country in Austria. Well, thank you both for joining. I can't wait to chat to you all about your work. And finally, from Respinor, we have Trude Tingvall. Yes, uh, so hi, uh, I am Trude Tingvall, the CEO of Respinor. And uh, Respinor is a privately owned medical device company, which was founded in Oslo, Norway in 2015. We are developing a novel non-invasive medical device, a Respinor diaphragm excursion technology, DXT, for continuous diaphragm monitoring with potential application towards many aspects of critical care and respiratory medicine. So DXT is the first ultrasound-based sensor that can stick to the skin to provide continuous monitoring of our main breathing muscle, the diaphragm, providing information to improve clinical decision-making for critically ill patients. Great, thank you very much. And um, could you give us an insight into the origins of the company? So maybe starting off with what made you move into the field? So first of all, I think uh, Respinor was founded based on technology development by the research unit of the company called Neorad, including prototypes and clinical documentation from the radiology department at the University of Oslo. Uh, they established that respiratory movement interfered with their application of laser navigation during the medical procedure and that there were no technologies available to continuously measure respiratory movement. In response, the first prototype of DXT was invented, an ultrasound-based continuous monitoring technology, and they saw the opportunity to apply this invention in respiratory medicine. So Neorad's shareholders then established Respinor as a spin-off and the company identified a huge medical need in respiratory medicine to liberate patients from mechanical ventilation at the right time. 
And uh, I personally have spent my whole career within the industry and most of it uh, in international roles, working in different commercial roles within severe diseases. So I want to make a difference for critically ill patients. A few years back, I did an executive MBA at the BI Business School here in Oslo, Norway. Uh, I strongly believe that the learning and development is a continuous process. And in that program, you have a model within entrepreneurship where I spent two weeks in Berkeley in California. That is when I decided that I wanted to be a part of a startup. Uh, and when this opportunity to join Respinor came, it was a no brainer. I was ready. So I started as uh, the chief business officer. And after a year, I was appointed the CEO of the company. Wow, that's amazing. That's such a cool career path and way into it. Also, congratulations, as Respinor recently won the Rising Star Award for the development of a non-invasive ultrasound-based technology, as you've already mentioned. Could you give our listeners a little bit more detail about the work and how it helped you win the award? Yes, so so uh, so we are targeting, you know, mechanical ventilation and uh, specifically the diaphragm function to guide physicians in the decision to wean uh, or liberate patients from mechanical ventilation at the right time uh, to inform that the diaphragm, our main breathing muscle, is strong enough to enable the patients to breathe by themselves. Uh, and the diaphragm is a muscle who is working 24-7, but once put on a ventilator, it, it can be inactive for several days. And like any other skeletal muscle, it will weaken significantly. Despite this information about the diaphragm is still missing in today's practice in weaning from mechanical ventilation. So today's standard of care uh, is to perform what is called a spontaneous breathing trial, an SBT, where they decrease the support from the ventilator for approximately 30 minutes and evaluate if the patient is getting enough oxygen. However, if the diaphragm is too weak, it might go unnoticed because we have small accessory respiratory muscles between our ribs that can, during a short period of this SBT, increase their contribution to compensate for any deficiency of the diaphragm. Everything looks fine and the patient gets extubated or liberated from the ventilator. But the accessory muscles do not have the same endurance as the diaphragm. Uh, therefore, they risk fatigue and possibly rupture after being extubated. And delayed weaning failure and reintubation may occur in patients who have undiagnosed diaphragm dysfunction but pass an SPT. This, is, um, this can be avoided uh, with our technology, Respinor DXT. Wow, that's amazing. Um, thank you. So are those the advantages then, or are there any more advantages of uh, this technology? And why is it so important that we use a non-invasive method to monitor the diaphragm? Yes, we developed our technology. We set out to fulfill three basic needs. You know, it should be non-invasive measurement to limit uh, patient discomfort. 
continuous monitoring to provide information far richer than one-off spot measurements and easy to use in a busy ICU environment. Uh, it is important to be non-invasive, firstly due to the minimum um, or no pain or discomfort for the patients. It reduces the risk of uh, complication and leads to a much easier procedure instead of having to insert catheters through the nose into the stomach, DXT sensors can easily be placed on the skin surface. So you mentioned about preventing intubation, which has impacts on respiratory health, but can reintubation have any damaging effects on any other organs in the body? Yes, uh, indeed. Uh, in addition to the risk associated with being on a mechanical ventilation for prolonged period, there are also risks associated with the intubation process itself, such as you, you know, injury to teeth or dental work, uh, injury to the throat or trachea, um, a buildup of too much fluid in organs or tissues. Uh, it could be bleeding lung complications or injury, uh, aspiration, you know, stomach contents and acids that end up in the lungs and the list goes on. So mechanical ventilation is uh, a vital treatment, but it is also associated with many risks. Every extra day a patient receive mechanical ventilation, the risk of permanent damage to the breathing ability increases. That is why it is critical to get these patients off the ventilator as early as possible. And how will winning this Rising Star Award at Unless Invest help to progress Respinor and the work that you're doing? Yeah, thank you. It is very exciting for us to win this prize. Uh, the Rising Star Award highlighted that they review uh, is that a high growth Nordic startup company must play on global playing field. So we already have a clear commercial strategy targeting a global market with our technology to secure that Respinor DXT will be available for patients by 22. Ah, oh, that's amazing. So at the moment, is it just localized to one area and it's not quite global yet? So we are in the clinical phase with our technology and uh, aim to launch our technology in 22. We have secured patent uh, uh, in a, a lot of markets and globally. So we aim at launching the product in Europe, US and Asian markets. Wow, amazing. Congratulations. Uh, and then finally, your tagline is changing respiratory health forever. It kind of hints that your plans aren't just finished yet. So could you give us a bit more insight into what your aims are for the future of Respinor and also just respiratory health device market in general? So with DXT, we see a huge potential. We start in the intensive care market, which is estimated to a 16 million patient opportunity in Europe and the US a year. And to enter this market, our clinical program targets mechanical ventilation due to the significant medical need and high willingness to pay. In time, we will expand into other applications like pain management in postoperative care and monitoring of airway management in the emergency room. And last but not least, for the most vulnerable patient group in the neonatal intensive care. 
So we are targeting mechanical ventilation and specifically the diaphragm function. However, DXT also measure respiratory rate, one of the most predictive and earliest vital sign uh, signaling change in clinical stages of patients. An efficient and accurate method of respiratory rate monitoring is still missing in hospital general wards and triage. Hence, DXT has the potential to be used uh, for respiratory monitoring in all hospital wards. Uh, this is why we believe that DXT will become the next vital sign for assessing work of breathing. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's been incredible to learn more about the work you're doing and how you're helping change the future of healthcare. Also here to speak to me today is Michael Rutzler, CEO of Apoglyx. Michael, congratulations are in order as Apoglyx recently won the Rising Star Award for its development of small molecule inhibitors for Aquaporin 9 to treat sepsis. And could you tell us a bit more about the origins of Apoglyx? Yeah, thank you first on the congratulations. The, the award is of course a great motivation for the Apoglyx team to, to bring our approach further uh, forward and hopefully it will improve the life of, of sepsis patients in the future. As, as many companies, uh, Apoglyx started uh, as an academic project originally at Aarhus University in Denmark uh, at the well-known water and salt uh, research center. And that was led at that point by Professor Søren Nielsen. He, he's a co-founder of Apoglyx. Main focus uh, of the Water and Salt Center was to understand the function of aquaporins in health and in disease. And the work there was conducted uh, from the beginning in close collaboration with uh, Professor Peter Agre, who of course uh, later received the Nobel Prize uh, for the discovery of the first aquaporin. Now, through the work at the Water and Salt Center, and also, of course, in many other labs around the world, the fundamental importance of aquaporins in kidney function, uh, in maintaining the body's fluid balance, uh, but also in several diseases had already been clearly established. Uh, but a main challenge uh, when I got into the field was uh, that uh, the further progress seemed to be hampered uh, because it was impossibly or seem, seemingly impossible to find drug-like molecules that could block cacoporins. I had at, at that point worked with Professor Larry Swibel at Vanderbilt University in the United States. And there we had just overcome a similar problem with targeting insect or factory receptors, um, which seems a quite a different field, uh, but the intention there was to generate uh, novel, powerful and selective insect repellents. And when I then first uh, met Søren Nielsen, we had the idea to apply a similar strategy as we applied for finding the, these uh, insect uh, odor receptor blockers to the identification of aquaporin blockers. And that approach then turned out to, to be successful and we found the first aquaporin 9 blockers in that way. Can you give our listeners a bit of a background into what an aquaporin is and why they're so important in the body? Acoporins are small channels that are at the surface of cells. As the name indicates, they were originally identified for their crucial function in exchanging water between the inside and the outside of biological cells. And this is, of course, a very fundamental process in bio biology. Uh, and consequently, acoporins can also be found in all forms of life, ranging from bacteria to plants where they are of course important for getting water into plants and uh, and also in animals 
And in mammals, the importance of aquaporins in the kidney was first recognized in the process of water reabsorption from primary urine. And somewhat later, uh, further functions were discovered, especially in cell movement that seemed to play an important role in tumor growth and in metastasis. Uh, and uh, similarly, the movement of immune cells also requires aquaporins, and it is there where we believe that our aquaporin 9 inhibitor gets involved. Great, thank you. How does inhibiting aquaporins, um, how is that crucial to preventing the lasting effects of sepsis? First, it may be important to point out that the aquaporin 9 inhibitor that we have developed is extremely specific to blocking just aquaporin 9, and it does not affect other human aquaporins. Now, why that is important is unlike several other human aquaporins, aquaporin 9 is not involved in the process of concentrating urine. And this is important since a blocker affecting other aquaporins would cause uh, detrimental fluid loss uh, in the urine. And in sepsis, then there is already a very low uh, volume of, of fluid in the blood vessels. And if one would lose further fluid in the urine, this would be really a problem. Now, in fulminantly developing cases of sepsis, immune cells are trying to take care of, in, of an infection. And in doing so, they can cause uh, also great damage to the body. Uh, this, this harmful part of the immune reaction that can actually cause death or long lasting damage to organs. And blocking acoporin 9 seems to dampen the immune overreaction that is causing harm to organs. On the other hand, we were also able to show that the ability to kill common human pathogenic bacteria is not affected by blocking acoporin 9. And therefore, it seems that blocking acoporin 9 uh, seems to balance the immune response without hindering the immune cells from doing what they're supposed to do. And that is, of course, to defend the body from intruders. Um, so could you give us a little bit more detail about the mechanism of the aquaporin therapeutics that you've developed at Apoglyc? So uh, the, the newest generation of our aquaporin 9 inhibitors was developed by outstanding chemists at our partners uh, at Redglit Discovery. And this provides us now with a number of options how we can apply these inhibitors. In the intensive care setting, usually an intravenous application is most commonly used. And besides the, the action that they already described now on the immune system, there is also additional effects on liver me metabolism of the acoporin 9 inhibitors. And these effects are likely synergistical. So we have a completely novel mechanism with a first-in-class potential. Now, our lead candidate has shown very high potency and efficacy in a state-of-the-art animal mo disease model of sepsis. And uh, the crucial experiments there have been uh, conducted as one of the world leading labs at the William Harvey Research Institute with Professor Christoph Timmermann. And how will winning this um, award at NLS Invest help progress the work that you're doing at Apoglyx? Well, first of all, of course, we hope that our investors will like the award. Uh, then uh, for developing the company, it may be an asset for bringing in talented people. And uh, then it will be very important for us to define the, the patient segment that will benefit most from an acoporin 9 inhibitor therapy, and that is crucial for us. So to enhance the visibility, uh, this, this award will help us uh, hopefully 
in, in also trying to find uh, the, the right partners for our company, for example, uh, for a potential uh, development of a companion diagnostics, uh, so that that could yeah really be important for for advancing the company. Wonderful. And finally, what are your aims for the future of Apoglyx and Aquaporin research in general? Uh, I recently read in a newspaper article that uh, Elon Musk uh, wants to put people on Mars before well before the end of, of this decade. So if that is true, I would like to beat him uh, at least in this time frame and also have an Aquaporin 9 inhibitor therapy on the market before he gets people to Mars. And as for Aquaporin research in general, I believe that the true, truly novel findings, they involve a, a great deal of serendipity. So my aim is to remain open-minded. Thank you, Michael. Apoglyx is definitely a really exciting place to be right now. Join us after this short break for my final guest, Scylla Jonsdottir. Welcome back to the final part of this episode of Innovations by Innovators with Retinarist CEO Scylla Jean-Stottier. It's a real pleasure to be speaking to you today and we did hear a bit about you and Retinarisk a little earlier on. What challenge or gap in medicine are you aiming to overcome with your work? Yeah, absolutely. Our, our founding team has actually decades of experience in diabetes management and good eye health. Uh, there are currently uh, 463 million people with diabetes in the world and this number is expected to exceed uh, 700 million by 2045. Our vision is to prevent millions of uh, people going blind based on an evidence-based and more a cost-effective approach. Uh, we have built uh, a clinically validated algorithm that accurately calculates individualized risk of site-threatening diabetic eye disease based on the patient's clinical values. So basically with the retina risk, we offer a more kind of like personalized approach opposed to kind of like the current one size fits all, which is in dominant in most countries. And, and with this actually, this personalized approach, we managed to enhance the clinical safety of high-risk patients who may actually need to come for eye screening more often than per the annual yardstick. And this also means that uh, the interval of screening for low-risk patients can safely be extended depending on their uh, risk profile. So could you tell us about the origins of retina risk, maybe starting with what made you move into this specific field? Well, basically what our doctors saw that, uh, and this started actually here in Iceland, that with annual screening, you could really prevent uh, diabetic blindness in over 90% of the cases. Uh, but what they also saw is that when screening around 100 patients, it was only like three to five that really were in high risk off-site threatening diabetic retinopathy and that uh, majority of the patient group could actually safely, the interval of ice cream for those, these groups could actually safely be extended uh, for maybe another year and, and even longer depending on their risk profile. So they really saw that this personalized approach based on its individual's risk uh, profile 
uh, could lead to obviously enhanced clinical safety, but also uh, savings and uh, optimization of resources in terms of healthcare cost. What was the, the moment, the kind of light bulb moment where you really recognized the importance of what Ratnaris could do for people with diabetes? Well, for me kind of personally, uh, my grandfather actually had diabetes and I actually watched him uh, suffer from some of the uh, complications. Uh, he had his limb amputated and uh, his uh, eyesight actually got worse uh, before uh, eventually dying. So for me, diabetes is something very close to the heart and knowing that uh, this uh, very severe complication can, of, which is blindness or, or vision loss, can be prevented. Um, for me personally, that was something that uh, I really believe that this is something where we in Retina Risk can make a significant difference. I think it's really nice to have a personal tie to what you're doing. Um, also, you must be very pleased as Retina Risk recently won the Rising Star Award for developing an app that helps to determine the individualized risks of developing diabetic retinopathy. Can you tell us more about how that app works? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the uh, Retin Risk app it basically empowers people with diabetes uh, to calculate their own risk of diabetic eye disease and to actually take the necessary steps to prevent vision loss. The app is available for both uh, iOS and Android and, and has been actually downloaded by nearly 1 million individuals in over 175 countries. So they see that uh, there's actually a great demand all over the world. The app is very easy to use. You need to uh, insert your personal risk factors. Those are gender, uh, type and duration of diabetes. If you have already been diagnosed with retinopathy, eye disease, and then your, the modifiable risk factors, which is the blood pressure and blood sugar level, uh, which are uh, clinical values that people with diabetes monitor very closely. Uh, when you have actually inserted those factors, you see a very accurate calculation of your individualized risk of developing sight-threatening eye disease in the next 12 months. And you also see which are your key risk factors. Is it the blood sugar? Is it the blood pressure? We've also included an extensive educational material and guidelines on how enhanced diabetes care can help you to prevent vision loss. You can actually see if I lower my blood pressure or lower my blood sugar, that your risk can go down actually significantly. So this is very motivating for people with diabetes to actually better understand their condition and kind of like what they can do to prevent this uh, complication. A very uh, important feature also is the possibility to lock your eye screening appointments and to actually receive a, a reminder because when we talk to ophthalmologists around the world, there are normally two things that there is kind of like on top of their worry list. It is that often people are not aware of this complication that uh, you need to take good care of your eyes because there is this complication of uh, vision loss. And secondly, that people uh, do not comply and don't go for the eye screening. So this is very much what we are trying to focus on, raising awareness, making people understand that there is this risk and they can do something about it and encouraging people to go for regular eye screening. So this is uh, the regular eye screening is really key to prevent uh, vision loss uh, due to uh, diabetes. 
So the app is really meant for the patient themselves. So you also, alongside the app, have this retina risk API. Could you tell us a little bit more about that too, please? Absolutely. Um, our second product, uh, which is the retina risk uh, application programming interface or an API. Uh, this is more of a system to system solution that uh, easily integrates uh, with uh, existing IT systems. It's uh, meant for more like uh, larger healthcare systems for doctors, uh, for health insurers, for diabetes platforms. It is built around the same risk factors, but in addition to the individualized risk calculation and the key risk factors for each individual, the algorithm can also recommend for doctor's consideration appropriate interval for eye screening for the respective patient. So like I mentioned, instead of everybody coming for annual eye screening, high-risk high patients may actually need to come every three months or every six months. So we are enhancing their clinical safety. And you may also have then low-risk patient where it's actually enough for them to come uh, every two years uh, without compromising their uh, clinical uh, safety. So this is really kind of like a system-to-system -system solution uh, where healthcare systems can actually stratify their entire cohort of patients to see actually the groupings. Here are my high risk patients, my medium risk and my low risk and make uh, evidence based uh, actually decisions for their patient groups. Great. So would you then say that the, the app is kind of more aimed at the patients and the API is aimed more at the doctors? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we really believe that the app belongs in the smartphone of every person living with diabetes to help them prevent blindness and also, as I said, motivate them towards this enhanced diabetes care. They have a better understanding of uh, their condition and what they can do about it. While the API supports doctors, healthcare providers as a decision support tool for more personalized diabetes care, and this appropriate interval for eye screening uh, appointments. Um, with this personalized approach based on the risk profile of each patient, you can ensure basically that the right person gets the right care at the right time. And uh, our clinical validations in over 25,000 patients and, and uh, real life use of the algorithm, they show that the return risk algorithm can actually lead to 40 to 60% savings in healthcare costs by making diabetic eye screening more efficient and cost-effective. So, so retina risk really serves the patient through the app, the doctors and the healthcare systems through the API. Wonderful. So you've talked a lot about the personalized aspect of it. What do you think has caused a growth in personalized medicines in general in healthcare today? Well, I think in many ways, uh, current approaches um, are becoming unsustainable. Um, the goal of providing eye screening annually to half a billion persons around the world, it's nearly impossible and, and very costly. Uh, we simply don't have enough pathologists or healthcare workers to serve this uh, large number of patients, a, a group that is expected to exceed 700 million by 2040. Five, um, we need a new approach. Uh, I think a personalized and digital approach is the only way forward. It is the future of healthcare. COVID-19 has in many ways 
helped to expedite uh, this transition towards digital health. We, um, we are experiencing increased interest in retina risk in the last 12 months, both the app that allows people to with diabetes to monitor the risk of developing uh, eye disease despite halted services due to the COVID lockdown. And they have actually the means to seek timely medical assistance if needed. So at home, they can be monitoring their situation. Um, but also to deal with the lockdown situations, uh, retina risk can actually help the doctors to determine which patients need still to intend eye screening and who can safely stay home. So this is helping also during the lockdown situations. And then when finally we get out of uh, this situation, uh, retina risk offers a scientific approach for dealing with the backlogs and the waiting lists that have been forming due to the, uh, the uh, lockdown based on a stratification. So where do you start? You actually start with those who are the high risk patients and who need to come for eye screening first. So I think that uh, personal approach is really the future of healthcare. Yeah, I completely agree. Um... So congratulations. We mentioned before that you won the Rising Star Award at NLS Invest. How is winning that award going to help progress the work that Retina Risk is doing? Well, thanks a lot. I uh, really appreciate it. We, we are extremely proud and, and honoured to have been selected uh, for the uh, Rising Star Award. We, uh, we are already experiencing actually lots of interest in our product following this award and, and have been contacted by companies who are interested in partnering with us and investors who are very excited about uh, our journey. So these are all great things. Uh, we have had uh, considerable publicity in uh, both local media and beyond. And this has obviously helped us to spread the word uh, about how we can help to prevent diabetic blindness uh, around the world. So really receiving this award has clearly, is, is clearly making a, a great impact uh, on our progress. And I'm sure that that will continue. That's wonderful to hear, yeah. Finally, what is your vision for the future of retina risk and digital or e-health in general? Well, I really believe that we are witnessing the rise of digital health and, and really fundamental changes in healthcare. I mean, patients are becoming more knowledgeable and more active participants uh, in their own wellness journey. Uh, our approach focusing on prevention and personalized care can actually potentially lead to a global savings of trillions of uh, dollars in uh, healthcare cost, because the model that we are using can actually also be um, applied to other complications of diabetes and, and even other chronic diseases. So there's an enormous potential here. Uh, with our current products, we are actually making a significant impact to improve the lives of people with diabetes. And our goal is really to prevent unnecessary vision loss in millions around the world with early detection in a more sustainable way based on risk assessment, personalized approach in digital health. So as I said before, I really think that digital health and personalized approach, this is the future. There's no doubt about it. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. Thank you to all my guests, Scylla, Michael and Trude. Keep your eyes peeled as we'll be back for another episode before you know it. 
You've been listening to the Scientific Podcasting Network. Make sure to check us out on Twitter at SciPodNet for more great content.